This podcast contains explicit content, polarizing views and opinions. Listener discretion is advised. You have been warned. Hello and welcome to the Dead Behind the Eyes podcast. In this episode, we're going to be starting our true crime series with Serial Killer 101. So stick around. up everyone like i said in the intro i'm going to be doing a, this is the serial 101 class basically all the basic knowledge you need to know on serial killers the reason i've done this is somebody that i work with who's not into true crime has just watched mindhunter on netflix if you haven't watched it hugely recommend great series you're probably going to get a bit annoyed that there's no season three and you just want something to scratch that itch but and it's all up in the air whether it's going to be one or not but he's watched that and of course he's like now proper into it all and i think lockdown both lockdowns especially in the uk has probably ignited that with people watching that series or watching other stuff just being inside there's not a lot of daytime telly so they're probably on like true crime 24 so i thought i'd do this serial killer 101 series this is basically going to be covering you know what is the stereotypes of a serial killer what does a serial killer mean is there stuff that you can that can be looked at to see like oh will you become a serial a, a future serial killer not you but you know just that sort of stuff um and just generally what make these guys and girls don't forget the girls because there has been women serial killers as well people think it's a very white male dominated pastime if not for a better term, but it's not, there's, uh, yes, sort of statistically that's true, which we'll get into, but it's basically just what makes a serial killer a serial killer. Now, of course, serial killers are a problem all around the world, and especially hit sort of starting at the 60s and finishing at the 80s. Of course, serial killers are still about, serial killers still do serial killer shit, but that was sort of like the industrial revolution for serial killers. It just sort of fucking went bang. And that was mainly because just sort of, I'm going to say people didn't give a shit as much or police weren't as good. There's a lot of factors while serial killers got away with what they did or didn't get caught as quick. That was sort of the main time that it, it all went to shit. And predominantly, it's quite a, an American phenomenon. There has been Russian serial killers, British serial killers, uh, Japanese, all over the world. But it seems predominantly to happen in America. That is the the melting pot for serial killers. And according to Dr. Michael Amot, he says that since 1900, there have been approximately 3,000 identified American serial killers who have collectively killed nearly 10,000 people. And Dr. Amot 
oversees the Radford University slash Florida Gulf Coast University serial killer database. So this geezer knows his shit. And that's a lot of serial killers. And they've said from the 1900, but like I said, you saw the, the boom of serial killers to the mid to late of that decade. So what defines a serial killer? The FBI defines a serial killer as someone who kills two or more people in separate events. So there has to be multiple killings, but they can't happen at the same time. They need to happen over a series of time. Other than that, you're a, you're a mass murderer. If you kill, let's say, eight people one night, I think Richard Speck is a, is a good um, example of this. He killed multiple people in one night. And people, some people consider him a serial killer. He's not a serial killer. He's a mass murderer. And Dr. Michael Amore, out of his identified American serial killers, he says that 32% of the killers did so for enjoyment. So that's sort of for the thrill, the lust, the power. 30% for financial reward. 18% were done in anger. 6.3% to advance a criminal enterprise. And fewer than 1% because a cult put them up to it. So the cult put them up to him is is, um, is Charles Manson, for example. He's a serial killer, but then his uh, followers would fall into that 1%. Still, from that pool of serial killers that Dr. Michael Amos got, he says their favourite murder weapon was a gun at 42%. 6% preferred poison, 2% axes, and there's not details on what the other... 50% preferred a lot of it is probably knives and, and blunt instruments and coming back to my point I made earlier of it, people perceive it to be a white male dominated situation that is sort of that is sort of correct, the statistics do show that 52% were white but 40% were black and I think that's a lot closer than what people think and 67 Hispanic. The other odd percent is is the other nationalities. You got to remember this is uh, these statistics are for American serial killers, and it, it it's dominated by men. It is a, a men dominated. Uh, I, I still don't know what to call it. Phenomenon and men outnumber women by a factor of ten. So for every one woman, there's ten men. Now, what makes a serial killer? So scientists and researchers have recently found that it's a combination of genetics and experiences. So it's sort of, the argument that happens, is it nature or is it nurture? It's a bit of both. And I think it's a bit of both in any scenario that you talk about, not just serial killers, but any scenario, it's nature and nurture. But the nature of it, there's there's one gene that they say particularly has been linked to increased aggression. And they say it's present in about 30% of the population. American population. And it's a so-called warrior gene. Can't find in my notes what the actual gene is called. It's enzyme something something A. You can look it up, but the common term for it is called the warrior gene. One of the similarities that seem to be through quite a lot of serial killers is they've experienced some sort of childhood trauma or early separation from their mothers. Now, this isn't a completely common trait. There are exceptions to the rule, like there is for everything, but this seems to span a lot of serial killers when they profile them. They say that this childhood trauma or separation 
is what links directly to their lack of empathy, which we'll go into later, later on. A serial killer is usually a loner, someone who doesn't interact a lot with people socially. They don't necessarily seem out of place. And in any relationships that they do develop, they always seek to, to control that relationship. And this, they say, is also linked to the childhood trauma or separation where they try to have control. They try to eliminate the possibility of another sort of humiliation or rejection. Some examples of serial killers with childhood trauma was Robert Dell Seggy or Seggy. He's believed to have killed 168 people and injured hundreds more when he set fire to a Connecticut circus. I believe it was July 6th, 1944. Now, he grew up with a dad who punished him by holding his fingers over a candle flame. There was a study that was done to try and correlate serial killers with different categories of child abuse. They use four serial killer typologies. Lust and rape, anger, power, and financial gain. And three categories of child abuse, which were psychological abuse, sexual abuse, and physical abuse. The results from that suggest that sexual abuse was potentially connected to rape and lust and anger typologies. It was also associated with tendencies of overkill. So let's just say... Uh, I stab somebody two times, they're dead. I then continue to stab them, overkill. Post-mortem sex, so sex with a corpse, and moving the body to a different location from where the murder took place. Psychological abuse was associated more with rape and lust and financial gain typologies. And crimes that were associated with psychological abuse tended to involve Torture and physical abuse was found to be associated with rape and lust, just the rape and lust typology, as well as behaviors such as carrying out the act quickly, finding the body, and leaving the body where the crime took place. So, predominantly from their study, what they saw was serial killers that experienced child abuse, sex seemed to be involved later on with their killings. One thing that's linked to child abuse and serial killers is their mothers. This is normally psychological abuse. And it's been found that a lot of serial killers have a problem with their mother. And it's normally because they are a dominant figure in their childhood. In many cases, they have mothers who brought them up to hate females and would control every aspect of their childhood. It was found that 66% of known serial killers had a dominant mother. Another question that gets asked about serial killers is, does society have a role in making a murderer? And very much to the serial killer phenomenon, society has a massive role in that because serial killers normally do not pick their victims because there is they've got a problem with them. They're normally just strangers. They're normally impulsive murders. They might plan them, but they're not planning them specifically because they have a relationship with that person. They're they're very much just done because they don't have a relationship with that with that person. And that's what makes serial killers normally quite hard to track down and arrest because there's not a lot of links normally. And because it's normally strangers that are targeted modern society 
has become a perfect environment for a serial killer. You know, go back, let's say, 500 years, the average person would probably only come up, would probably only come into contact with 100 strangers in their whole lifetime. Now, think of how many hundreds of strangers you come in contact with every day. What one person a couple of centuries ago was, what one person coming into contact with a couple of decades ago, these centuries, decades, century. What one person to come in contact a couple of hundred years ago is what people just regularly come in contact with day to day. If, if you're a big commuter, like using the tubes and stuff or the trains or the subways, you come in contact with them in a couple of hours. Mental. Another role that society plays in serial killers is those who have studied serial killers believe that many are at least partly motivated by the attention and the fame that mass medias, social medias, medias in general, provide for them. You know, Dennis Rader is, is a prime example of this. He called himself the BTK killer. Bind them, kill them. Sorry, bind them, torture them, kill them. Now, he wrote a letter to a TV station that said, quote, how many people do I have to kill before I get the name in the papers? How many people do I have to kill before I get a name in the paper or some national attention. Radar murdered 10 people between the 70s and 80s in Kansas. Nasty bastard. Also a weird one. You know, he did dress himself up in winner's clothing, strangle himself and wank himself silly. Strange little man. There you go. Serial killers often prey on the most marginalised members of society. You know, so that's uh, the LGBTQ society. Wasn't known as that back then. But... That society, uh, prostitutes, homeless people, drug addicts, people who seem to be easily controlled or were easily accessible, let's say. An example of this one is Samuel Little, who was a former boxer and was convicted for two murders and was convicted for two murders, but they found out that, you know, he's done 93. He confessed to 93. Not a good bloke, not a good bloke. But he managed to evade detection for so long by preying on prostitutes, drug addicts and homeless women. Because, you know, that as horrible it is to say, the police didn't care as much. You know, if that's say if that was a middle class white woman, the police would have been all over it. Every single asset they had would be thrown at that case. Black prostitute? Yeah, that's, that's just send just a normal police officer just to go... Just ask a few questions. That's what it was like back then. Another example was Bruce MacArthur, who pleaded guilty to murdering eight men in Toronto's gay village, many of them being immigrants from South Asia or Middle East who hadn't come out to their families yet. Generally speaking, the majority of victims of serial killers are women, and that's at 51.4%. African-American victims are overrepresented at 24% relative to their proportion in the US population, which is 13%. I think that's a telling statistic that they get preyed upon because it's not a controversial opinion. They're just not treated as well as the same economically disadvantaged white people. Now, there is a huge debate on how many serial killers are active. Data suggests that American serial killings peaked in the 1980s and has declined since then. The FBI, they state that only 1% of murderers today are committed by serial killers. And that's because it's harder for them 
to go undetected because of DNA evidence, public cameras, stricter parole laws, and just use of general databases. Put my teeth back in, jeez. However, there's a debate about it because Michael Artfield, who is a retired police detective and author of dozens of books about serial killing, he puts the number at between three and 4,000. Someone else, Thomas Hargrove, who created the largest database for killing, puts a number greater at 220,000. And he says that because that's how many crimes there are unsolved that they deem to link to serial killers so he puts a number at that and that's the logical the logical link many factors are credited with the growth in the number of serial killers in the 20th century you know some believe that it's because of the interstate highway system which gave predators just greater mobility they could move around so much easier they couldn't you know, if you do all your killing in, in one spot, one little town, you're probably more likely to get found out because that's say you probably live in that town. But if you travel an hour down the road to do all your killings, you're less likely to be linked to it. But also, because of the highway systems, that meant that serial killers had a vulnerable pool of victims. And that is the hitchhikers. Another thing that has some evidence behind what caused an increase of serial killers was both the world wars, World War One and World War Two. The evidence shows that there was a bump in active serial killers in the years immediately after the First World War, and even greater after the Second War. And this is because many believe that the wars were far more vicious and primitive than people have really acknowledged. And one of those people is Peter Ronsky. And Ronsky believes traumatized soldiers who have been desensitized to taking lives either became serial killers themselves or had a hand in raising them. One theory about serial killers basically puts them in, in two categories organized serial killers and disorganized serial killers. The disorganized killer leaves the crime scene, as just the name suggests, in disarray. They're likely to leave blood, fingerprints, the murder weapon and the killing is thought to be op and the killing is thought to be opportunistic and often occurs close to where the offender lives. Characteristically, the disorganized killer is thought to be socially inadequate and have below average intelligence and are believed to struggle with maintaining social relationships. On the other hand, the organized killer is exactly what it sounds like. They will plan more. Crime scenes will be less, pretty much evidence-free, and they far more intelligent, seem to blend in with the, the circle that they are in. They're the, the sort of person that, you know, if if you had someone knock on your door and you went, oh, Jim down the road has been charged with fucking killing hundreds of people, you go, Jim? No, not Jim. She seems like a normal geezer. Whereas if someone knocked the door and went, oh, David, being convicted of killing hundreds of people, you go, David, yeah, if I can look like a creepy arsehole. Not saying that either of those names mean you're a serial killer, just names popped in my head for a disorganized and organized killer. Another big question is, what are the motives of a serial killer? And the FBI presented a study called the Serial Murder Multi- disciplinary perspectives for investigators 
and they outline some things of, of motives of serial killers. Point one, the motive can be very difficult to determine in a serial murder investigation. Point two, a serial murderer can have multiple motives for committing. Point two, a serial murderer can have multiple motives for committing his slash her crimes. Point three, a serial killer's motive or motives can evolve both within a single murder and throughout the series of murders. And I think that's what makes the hardest serial killer to find is when police can be fixated on one person because they believe they have the motive for that. And actually, the serial killer's moved on. He's on a different thing now. Or her. They're on a different thing now. And it just derails the investigation. Point four. The classification of motivations should be limited to observable behavior and conditions at the scene of the murders. Point five. Even if a motive can be identified, it may not be helpful in in identifying a serial murderer. Point six, utilizing investigative resources to discern the motive instead of identifying the offender can derail or bog down an investigation. And the last point, seven, investigators should not necessarily equate a serial murderer's motivation or motivations with the level of injury. They then go on to go through the typologies and what can be the correlation between them and the motives. Point one, anger is a powerful motivation in which the offender displays rage or hostility towards either a certain subgroup of the population, such as the homeless or society as a whole. Point two, criminal enterprise is a motivation in which the offender benefits in status of monetary reward by committing murder that is drug, gang, or organized crime related. For example, murder may be perpetrated by a drug gang in order to eliminate its competition. Point three, financial gain is a motivation in which the offender benefits monetarily from killing that is not drug, gang, or organized crime related. A few examples of these types of crimes are comfort slash gain killings, robbery, homicide, or multiple killings involving insurance or welfare fraud. Point four, ideology is a motivation to commit murder in order to further the goals and ideas of a specific individual or group. Examples of these include terrorist groups or an individual slash individuals who attacks a specific racial, gender or ethnic group out of sheer hatred for said group. Point five, power slash thrill is a motivation in which the offender feels empowered and slash or exhilarated when he kills his victims. The act of killing is an end in itself. Point six, psychosis is a rare situation in which the offender is suffering from a severe mental illness and is killing specifically because of that illness. The condition may include auditory or visual hallucinations and paranoid, grandiose or bizarre delusions. Basically, like God told me to do it. Point seven, sexually based is a motivation driven by the sexual needs or desires of the offender. There may or may not be evidence of sexual contact present at the crime scene. 
and that was all presented in FBI's serial murder multidisciplinary perspectives for investigators. So now let's look at what traits a serial killer has. Trait one, smooth talking, but insecure. That's someone like Ted Bundy. You know, many people around him said you'd just be sort of taken in by the aura of him, that he was a charmer, someone who can sort of talk themselves out of any situation or talk themselves into any situation. Trait two, egocentric and grandiose. This is someone much like Jack the Ripper, who is sort of perceived to be the first modern serial killer. And the example of this is he used to send letters and taunt the police. I've actually got one of his letters here, and I'll read it out. Dear boss, I keep on hearing the police have caught me, but they won't fix me just yet. I have laughed when they look so clever and talk about being on the right track. That joke about leather apron gave me real fits. I am down on whores and shan't quit ripping them till I get buckled. Grand work the last job was. I gave the lady no time to squeal. How can they catch me now? I love my work, and I want to start again. You will soon hear of me with my funny little games. I've saved some of the proper red stuff in a ginger beer bottle over the last job to write with, but it went thick like glue and I can't use it. Red ink is fit enough, I hope. The next job, I shall clip the lady's ear off and send it to one of the police officers. My knife's so nice and sharp. I want to get to work. My knife's so... My knife's so nice and sharp. I want to get to work right away if I get the chance. Good luck. And he's basically writing that letter to taunt the police. He even gives them sort of a little link of when it's going to happen. It's going to happen soon because he, he's got an itch for it. What he's going to do, he's just, he's playing with himself. He's so happy that he ain't been caught. Trait three, lack of remorse or guilt. An example for this one is Joel Rifkin, who was, sealed, who was filled with self-pity after he was convicted of killing and dismembering at least nine women. And he called his own conviction a tragedy. Later, in prison, he got an argument with another mass murderer, Colin Ferguson, over whose killing spree was more important. And when Ferguson taunted Joel for only killing women, Joel said, yeah, but I had more victims. He couldn't have given a single flying fuck that he killed those women. Trait four, lack of empathy. Now, a major example of this one is Andre Chikatilo. He feasted on bits of genitalia, both male and female, after his kills. He thought completely nothing of taking a life, no matter how much he tortured his victims, he just didn't give a shit. And he was quoted as saying, the whole thing, the cries, the blood, the agony, gave me relaxation and a certain pleasure. That is definitely a geezer, just don't care. Trait five, deceitful and manipulative. The example I picked up for this one is John Wayne Gacy, the killer clown. He refused to take responsibility for 28 boys buried beneath his house, even though he also once said that clowns can get away with murder. He was quoted as saying, I think after 14 years under truth serum, had I committed the crime, I would have known it. There's got to be something that would, would click in my mind. I've had photos of 21 of the victims and I've Looked at them all over the years, and I've never recognised any one of them. That is someone who clearly showing he, he's playing games. He, he's trying to manipulate the people investigating him. Trait six, shallow emotions. The example for this one is a German serial killer, Rudolf Pliel. Convicted of killing 10 people 
and he later took his own life in prison. He compared to his serial killings that he called his hobby to playing cards and later told police, quote, what I did is not such a great harm with all these surplus women nowadays. Anyway, I had a good time. Trait seven, impulsive. I picked Tommy Lynn Sales for this one, who claimed, who claimed responsibility for dozens of murders throughout the Midwest and the South. They saw a woman at a convenience store, followed her home, and he said this was an impulse that he was unable to control. He waited until the house went dark and then, quote, I went into this house, I go to the first bedroom and I see, I don't know whose room it is, and 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 I start stabbing. The victim was actually the woman's young son, but he had an impulse to do it and he couldn't stop it. Trait eight, poor behavior controls. I wish I could stop, but I could not. I had no other thrill or happiness. That was a quote from a UK serial killer called Dennis Nilsson, who killed at least 12 young men via strangulation, then bathed and dressed their bodies before disposing of them, often by burning. And that one's different to impulsive because he couldn't control his behavior of well, he claims he couldn't control his behavior of doing that. I mean, that's probably could be also put under the manipulative category because you can never know what these people say as actually being the fact. Trait nine, need for excitement. I've picked Albert Fish for this one. He was a masochistic killer with a side of sadism that included sending a letter to the mother of one of his victims describing in detail how he cut, cooked and ate her daughter. Even the idea of his own death was one he found particularly thrilling. A direct quote says, going to the electric chair will be the supreme thrill of my life. Trait 10, lack of responsibility. I've used John Wayne Gacy again for this one. He's quoted as saying, I see myself more as a victim rather than a perpetrator. I was cheated out of my childhood. I should never have been convicted of anything more serious than running a cemetery without a license. They were just a bunch of worthless little queers and punks. Trait 11, early behavior problems. When I was a boy, I never had a friend in the world. That was said by German serial killer Heinrich Pomerenke, who began raping and murdering girls as a teenager. Trait 12, adult antisocial behavior. The example is Gary Ridgway. He pleaded guilty to killing 48 women, mostly prostitutes, who were easy prey and were rarely reported missing. At least not immediately. He was quoted as saying, I don't believe in man, God, nor devil. I hate the whole damned human race, including myself. I preyed upon the weak, the harmless and the unsuspecting. This lesson I was taught by others, might makes right. And the last trait is what is called the MacDonald triad. And I want to go into this trait a bit deeper because... It's thrown up some controversy recently, when I say recent, 21st century recent, because people think there's flaws in it. But the McDonald triad is three specific behaviours in children, which suggest a person may become violent as an adult. These include bedwetting, fire starting and 
animal cruelty. This belief is that these three traits display a lack of self-control and a lack of empathy, two things which contribute to the makeup of a homicidal adult. As we've seen from many serial killers, including Jeffrey Dahmer, Edmund Kemper, John Wayne Gacy, Ted Bundy, Albert DeSalvo, animal cruelty was a staple of their childhood. Arson and bedwetting are a little harder to classify since many instances of this may have gone unrecorded. In recent years, the McDonald triad has become less associated with potential serial killers and more associated with parental abuse and psychological defects. However, this kind of upbringing, however, this kind of upbringing can greatly attribute to making a serial killer. Now, I want to take some quotes from Psychology Today and an article that was written by Catherine Ramsland called Triad of Evil. This is one quote from the article. Thanks largely to misconceptions and spotty research, the notion that the McDonald triad, animal cruelty, fire setting and bedwetting, points to murder-prone kids has become an entrenched stereotype. This easy formula carries a heavy load, but it actually offers little for the prediction of criminality. The reason she says that is because she claims that the first test that was done by McDonald was done by comparing 48 psychotic patients against 52 non-psychotic patients. And those 48 psychotic patients had all threatened to kill someone. Now, she notes in that that the study was about those who had threatened a violent act, not committed one. She also says in the article that you can see some of these traits in nearly all serial killers, but they very rarely possess all three of the traits. I wanted to take another quote out of the article, and I think this sums it up pretty pretty well. For a master's thesis, Corey Ryan submitted a study in 2009 that contradicts nearly half a century of claims. Ryan performed the most extensive review of the literature to date and found little empirical support for the triad's predictive value. Together or alone, the triad behaviours can indicate a stressed child with poor coping mechanisms or a developmental disability, such as a child needs guidance and attention. However, until we design and carry out better empirical studies that we've seen thus far, researchers and media agencies should refrain from stating the triad identifies a future serial killer. She does sort of state in the article that when McDonald originally did the the test, he relied mostly on clinical observation to make his assessment, and he did not believe the study had predictive values. It was more later research as a look back at his work was the one that sort of made it predictive. So that is the the basics of a serial killer. There's you can go so much more in depth on every little word of that everything I've said but that is is the basics and what I hope to build upon with later episodes when I look at specific people that might sort of lean towards a certain thing or or lean the other way we can go a little bit further into stuff later on but that has been Serial Killer 101 I've been your host Will and I hope you will join me next week for our episode of The Broadsheet where we look at 
what will now be the last two weeks of the world weird news see if we can find any funny gems and a week after that where we will have a look at our serial killer i'm not going to tell you which serial killer we might look at i don't know yet or should, am i just keeping it a secret am i just causing a little bit of suspense i'm not i, I don't actually know which one i'm gonna do yet i'm also excited to report of merch and there will be a link to that in the description we have a logo t-shirt we have a logo hat snapback and we also have a amazing design that was done by an amazing designer of a little mascot or character i'll let you go and have a look and see if you like it so thanks for listening i hope you enjoyed if you did like it please leave us a review wherever you're listening it helps us and I'll see you next time. Goodbye.